Well, good morning, everybody. Um, nice to see you. If I've never met you before, my name is Norm. Um, welcome here. Nice to be with people in person. Those that are watching online, great to see you as well, at least virtually. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're looking at verses 1 to 17. As you find that text, uh, I bring greetings from Midtown, the church that I now pastor. It's a replant work in in Vancouver, um, sort of right between Fraser, closer to night on 43rd. And so you, whether you know it or not, have been a, a, a huge support, encouragement uh, to us. You've supported us financially, obviously been praying for us. And, uh, and I hope you know how much I love you as a ministry. And, and I was asked about six months ago if I wouldn't mind uh, freeing up some time and joining you today and also uh, in a couple of weeks again in July. So. It's always an easy yes for me. My, my wife and my two sons are very involved at Midtown. They couldn't be here to get, uh, today. They're working with kids, and my wife is very involved in, in sort of ministry team coordination. So they've, they've got their work ahead of them today. So I am fortunate enough to be with you. Uh, full transparency, I've, this message I've preached before. I was given the um, allowance to just come up with my own sermon. And oftentimes when I'm invited in to speak, uh, as I have done with you, I usually work within series, but when I was first asked to come and, and speak, I was given the freedom, you do whatever you want. And so when I have that chance, uh, I sometimes come up with new, new sermons, but uh, there are oftentimes uh, that I go back to texts that I really love. And this is one of them, John chapter 15, like I said, looking at verses 1 to 17. I do it selfishly because this is one of my favorites. It's a good reminder for me. But if you're one of the two or three people that listen to me online, if you just happen to be in the room today, you, have may, you may have heard this message before. If you have, I hope it still resonates, supports, encourage you, encourages you. <clears throat> uh, once again, let me read the text. John 15, starting at verse 1. Jesus the speaker, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, she it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Love this. Um, So much here. This is a precious text. Jesus in the upper room speaking to the 11 remaining disciples. So much here as well. Lots taking place in the 17 verses. And so what I want to do is I want to double back on it. I've read it. Now I want to double back on it. And to help us understand some of the big points coming out of these these verses, I'm simply going to answer three questions today. The, The questions simply are who, how, and why. In other words, Who are the characters, I'll use the term characters, that show up in these verses? That's number one. Secondly, how do they carry out their roles? Meaning, what do they do? And then lastly and finally, why? Uh, Meaning, what goal do they have? What's the end game? So first, if you like taking notes, let's let's begin with the question, who? who? Who reveals themselves in these Verses. Well, Jesus introduces us to three characters. Again, if you like the terminology, three different players in the text. The, the first are the branches. Jesus mentions branches, but he mentions three types of branches. But who are the branches before we start looking at the three types? Well, we are. If, if you're in Christ, at least partially, we're going to see some branches that aren't in Christ, but we are the branches. Jesus says that in verse 5. You are the branches, and then he starts giving us different types of branches. What kind of types of branches does Jesus mention? Well, there are the branches who abide in Jesus, and they bear fruit, and then there are branches who don't abide in Jesus, and they don't bear fruit, and then there's this third very strange type of branches that are in Jesus, a a really important phrase. They are in Jesus, but they have no fruit either. Lots of branches. And then there is the vine dresser. Who is the vine dresser? The vine dresser is the father, verse 1. You can go back and look at it. My father is the vine dresser. He's the tender of the vine. If you want to use different language, he's the gardener. He takes care of the branches. And he's really busy in our text. We'll note the, the ways later that he keeps himself busy. But he's the second character. Branches, vine dresser. And then finally, there's the vine. But not just any vine, a a true vine. Who is this? Well, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the vine. Take a look again in verse 1. I am the true vine. And then drop down to to verse 5. He says there again, "I I am the vine. But not just any vine. He's the true vine. That word true is an important qualifier for it suggests to us that there's a false vine out there somewhere. What would be the false vine? Well, I think if you were unpacking this text, you're in a home group or you just studied it on your own, I think a false vine could be determined as any vine outside of Jesus that a branch uh, attempts to abide in. That that's a false vine. But that's not fully accurate in context. 
In the context of all of God's story, the false vine, it seems, refers to Israel specifically, God's chosen people. The children of Abraham, the children of Isaac, the the children of Jacob are called oftentimes God's vine, his vine. Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9, I'll read this for you. You you brought a vine out of Egypt. Well, we know God's people were in Egypt, and God brought his people out of Egypt. But there in Psalm 80, they're called his vine. You drove out all the nations, and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. But that's just one example. Another one, and you can read this on the screen in the book of Hosea, chapter 10, verse 1. It's very specific. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more its fruit increased, the more altars he built, and his country improved, he improved his his pillars. So God called, God chose the people of Israel to be his vine and to bear fruit. This is really important, to bear fruit of God to the rest of the world. One author writes, and I don't have this on the screen, and I'll just read it for you. One author writes that Israel had been chosen by God to be such a contagious witness to God that other nations would be would stream to her to find out more about this amazing God that was that was the call so so what's the question the the question is what what happened well they didn't that's what happened they failed in their task Israel showed herself to be false as depicted by Jesus, if you remember that scene, it's a very strange scene in the lead up to Jesus going to the cross. He, he enters Jerusalem, he's hungry, and he goes to a fig tree, wants some figs. Goes to a fig tree that looks like it's in harvest. I mean, it looks like it's ripe, but there's no fruit on the tree, and so he curses it. It's a, a living parable of the nation of Israel. You look the part, but you're bearing no fruit. You have leaves, but nothing to eat. Because they were false. So, so what does God do? Well, we know what God does. He plants another vine. Who is that? Well, we've already answered that question. Jesus. Jesus is the better vine. Jesus is the true vine. To, to be clear, and this is really important for us to understand, what our call coming out of John 15 is, is that God wanted his people to be in and for the world And how he did that is he became, he himself became in Jesus. So what God wanted to be in and for the world, he himself became in Jesus. Jesus is the vine that will finally bear fruit in the world. But how? If that's who, how? Well, that takes us to our second question. How does Jesus, the true vine, fulfill his role? The answer is through us. We are the branches. Just drop down to verse 16 one more time. Let me remind you of what it says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That's his direction to all of us who are in Christ who abide in Christ. So in the same way that Israel had been chosen, so too are we to make much of the vine. 
and draw men and women to him. To be such a contagious, wonderful aroma that, that others who don't know him want to know him. That's our call. But I've asked a few questions already. How do we fulfill our role? How, how do we as branches bear this fruit? If Jesus fills his role, fulfills his role through us, how do we fulfill ours? Well, Jesus gives us his answer in verse 4. Take a look at it. Abide in me, and I in you. Adding in verse 5, that whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So there is our answer. How do we fulfill our role as branches grafted onto the vine that is Jesus? We abide in Jesus, and Jesus abides in us. This is, this is our first as followers of Jesus, this is our first, this is our primary, this is our ongoing task. Everything else flows from it. In fact, this call to abide in Jesus even precedes the call to love. Comes before that. Why? How can I say that? Well, because apart from Jesus, we can't do anything, including our ability to love as Jesus Loves. Just take a look at verse 12. Again, one more time. Jesus says there, this is my commandment that you love one another. And then he says, very important word, as I have loved you. You can't, I can't, we can't love as Jesus loves if we're not abiding in him first. But if we are abiding in Jesus, that was loud, sorry to scare you. If we are abiding in Jesus, we can do anything including loving as he loved. What does it mean to abide? Well, the word abide means to dwell. It means to make your home in. So make your home in me and I'll make my home in you. As one author calls it, he calls it a mutual indwelling. We, we in Jesus and Jesus in us. But what does, what does that mean? I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but this is such a precious text, I don't want us to miss the beauty of it. It means, it means at the very least, but grandly, sweetly, preciously, it means that there is a life of another in us. That's what it means. It, it means that we share the life of another. And that life is moving in us. To use the sap analogy, there is a sap of another that is flowing through us. He is the vine, we are the branches. It means that the vitality and the essence of the vine is pulsating in and through the branches of the vine. Jesus dwells in us. The immortal dwells in the mortal. While our bodies break down, and they are, and they do, and it sucks, while our bodies break down, life and light inhabit us. This is why Paul can say, and you can see this on the screen, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, we do not lose heart. Why, Paul? Why aren't you losing heart? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And why? Again, why? Because Jesus dwells in us and we dwell in Jesus. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do 
nothing. Mutual indwelling. And please note that word, in. Really important word in understanding this text, but in other places as well. Jesus dwells in us. Meaning he's not just with us. He's not just alongside of us. He's not simply for us, although he is all of those things. But most significantly and mysteriously, he is in us. And and, and sure, church, if Jesus is in us, then everything that is in Jesus is in us. His life, his power, and his strength are in us. His light and his holiness and his beauty and mercy and truth and grace and courage and and patience and hope and love and joy and peace are in us. It's the only way the Father can look at us and see Jesus and, and, and treat us as sinless creatures because we are in Christ. Not just forgiven, but as if we have never sinned. Because we are in Christ. He infers, Jesus infers to this, again, go back, go back this time to verse 11. Jesus says there, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Which answers, what's the all-important question that comes out of this text? This, this answers what the all-important question is coming out of this text. What is the fruit we are to bear? Because we're to bear fruit, right? Jesus actually mentions six times in these 17 verses that we're to bear much fruit. So what is the fruit you and I, who are in Christ, are to bear if Jesus is in us and we in him? What's the answer? Well, the answer is Jesus. We are to bear Jesus. He is the fruit we are to bear. That the life of Jesus in us and through us, the life of Jesus in us and through us to the world as we seek to make him known. Galatians 2.20, well-known text. Again, you can read this on the screen. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He has made his home in me by the spirit he sent, the spirit of Jesus in us. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just just think about it. Uh, this way, very practical example that I think undergirds what I've, what I've said here. Grapevines bear what kind of fruit? Awesome. You guys are listening. Great. Apple trees bear fig trees, if they're faithful, bear figs. What do, what do, you, what do Jesus' vines bear? What's the fruit? Jesus. He's the fruit. But hear me. He... He is the fruit we are to bear if things are going terribly and when things are going the exact opposite. This fruit isn't the fruit of ministry, the fruit of success, whatever success looks like. 
This is the fruit of Jesus that we are to bear when things stink and when things couldn't be better. He's the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit of Jesus in us. What is the fruit specifically? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and and self-control. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Yeah, it sounds like Jesus. And that's the fruit we are to bear in good times and in bad And when we bear that kind of fruit, what happens is the nations will be drawn to Jesus through us. When you bear that kind of fruit on the the North Shore, the nations will be attracted to that Jesus. Especially when we bear his kind of love for one another. Take a look again at verses 12 and 13 one more time. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the love we are to bear. Well, with the time that I have remaining, let me address the question I think is really important. If we are called to abide, if we bear fruit by abiding in Jesus, how do we abide in Jesus? What does that even mean, to abide in Jesus? Well, the que- first of all, here's the answer. I'll give you a three-part answer. Um, first, we are to abide in his word. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. It begins here. We abide in his word. We we abide in Jesus by letting his words abide in us, the scriptures. We make our home in Jesus by having the scriptures make their home in us. Words that not only inform us, but transform us. 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. So Jesus comes to us, he comes to us by his word, and he makes his home in us through his words. This is the only way we come to know Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the words of Christ. Without his words, we do not know him. Without his words, we can only imagine who he is. Uh, Daryl Johnson, who is uh, a good man, he's, he's been a, a big part of my life over the last number of years, he comments on this. Again, you can read this on the screen. I wonder if part of the reason we do not always bear Jesus' fruit is because we are not, only, not always relating to Jesus as he really is, but to Jesus as we make him out to be. How do we know the real Jesus? By way of his words. So we abide in his word. We let the words of Christ dwell in us richly. We think and meditate on his words. Secondly, how do we abide? We abide, secondly, in his love. Jesus says in verse 9, abide in my love. And therefore, we make our home in Jesus by making our home in his love. But where do we find out about his love? Well, again, by way of his word. 
On our own, we do not know what love is. Not, not the love of God. We do not know what love is apart from his word. But we are not left on our own for the scriptures tell us that we know what love is. Why? How do we know what love is? Jesus died for us. We, we know what the definition of, of love is. And that there is no greater love than this, as we read, that a man lay his life down for his friends. But Jesus didn't only lay down his life for his friends, but it was while we were still sinners and enemies that he died for us. We abide in his love. We go to the scriptures and learn about his love, but practically speaking and connected to it, it means that we don't forget John 3.16. That that we never get too far from John 3.16. It means we walk in the confidence of knowing that nothing will separate you and me from the love of Christ. It means that we join in with Paul in praying along with him that we would have the strength to comprehend how deep and wide and high is the love of Christ. And therefore, it's a love to be experienced. For it's a love that surpasses knowledge. We, we aren't only to know the love of God, we are to experience it too. We, we are to know the love of God like we know the sun in the sky. That you just don't only know it's out there, but you feel its warmth. I don't know why this is a surprise to us when I, I push into knowing, knowing the love of God experientially, because the other fruit of the Spirit are to be known experientially as well, right? I mean, if, you, if, if some of the fruit of the Spirit, just to pick a couple of peace and patience, if, if you think that the fruit of the Spirit of peace and patience is, is only to be known with our head and not experienced with our life, why would we think any different about the love of God? We need strength to comprehend something that goes beyond knowledge. It's a love that's poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It means that we pray along with Paul that not only would our knowledge grow, but our love too. It means that we don't only come to know the Word of God, but the heart of God as well. That's what it means to abide in His love. So we make our home in Jesus by abiding in His Word and abiding in His love, but also by the working of the vine dresser. Remember the vine dresser? Said he was really busy. He's the gardener. The father is the vine dresser. Talked about some of his activities. Two of his activities are recorded in verse 2. In verse 2, one of the things that the vine dresser does is he takes away those branches, now hear me, in Jesus who aren't bearing fruit. Let me say that again. One of the things, the vine dresser, who is the father, takes away branches that are in Jesus that aren't bearing fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The NIV says he cuts it off. He cuts off a branch that's in Jesus? That should trouble you. In Jesus. How do we reconcile this? There's 306, you have in, in Christ, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, 365 verses that speak about this, one for every day of, the, day of the year. So how do you reconcile 
the vine dresser cutting off a branch in Jesus that isn't bearing fruit with verses like, I don't know, Philippians 1.6, that what he begins in you, he, he will complete. What do you do with that? It's a promise. Paul says, I'm assured of this. That what he has begun, he is going to complete at the day of Christ Jesus. Or Romans 8.30, that very well-known text, that those he calls, one day he will glorify. It's guaranteed. So how do we reconcile it? This should put a pit in your stomach if you're in Christ. You cut off. How do we reconcile it? Well, it may help you to know that the phrase takes away can also be rendered lift up. The, the verb translated takes away, arrow in the Greek, does mean in some contexts takes away, but in other contexts it means to, to, to lift up, to elevate, to raise. For example, in the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, John tells us, the same John who wrote, obviously, John 15, it tells us the disciples took up, lifted up, 12 baskets of leftovers. As Jesus is making his way up the hill where he is crucified, John, the same John, tells us that Jesus was forced to take up his own cross. He lifted it up and carried it himself. N knowing this then, could it be that Jesus is saying that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser lifts up? Not to get rid of the branch, not to cut it off, but to help the branch be and do what it is supposed to be and do. There is an author, Bruce Wilkinson, in his book, Secrets of the Vine, great book, if you can find it, he had a conversation with a vine dresser. And the vine dresser told him that new branches have a tendency to trail down and grow along the ground. And they then cannot bear fruit because they are lying on the ground. The leaves get coated in dust, and then when it rains, the dust turns to mud, and soon the leaves begin to mildew. The branch gets sick. You ever feel that way? Those of you in Christ, you ever feel that way? On the ground, so to speak? Feeling beat up? Ever felt that there is no way in your life that, that Jesus would be made manifest? You ever felt that way? Yeah, me too. Wilkinson goes on in his conversation. What do you do with such branches? Do you cut them off and, hmm, I know how this ends, so I get a little choky, even though I read it like 7,000 times. Do you cut them off and throw them away? Oh no, exclaimed the vine dresser. The, the branch is much too valuable for that. The vine dresser continued, we, we go through the vineyard 
with a bucket of water looking for those branches, we, we lift them up and we wash them off. Do you hear that? We lift them up and we wash them up. Do you hear the love of the vine dresser in that? A bruised reed he will not break. He's gentle. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart, meaning he stoops down and he meets us where we are. He is a high priest that sympathizes with our weakness. When the Father sees a branch in his vine, in Jesus, that has, for whatever reason, fallen on the ground and is covered with mud, he does not cut it off. The branch is much too valuable for that. You are much too valuable for that. I am much too valuable for that. He lifts the branch up. He washes it off, enabling it to flourish. Have we not, have we not all experienced this ministry in our lives with this vine dresser? All of us have. Perhaps his taking care of us came just on our own and the Father got a hold of us or maybe through someone else or what have you, but we've been lifted up, we've been cleaned off. That's, that's the vine dresser. The Father really wants you to see the, life of, see the life of his Son reproduced in the world and when he sees a branch in Jesus not bearing fruit, he lifts, lifts it up so it can but that's not all he does. Remember I said he's busy? What he also does is he works by pruning us. He prunes us. See that in verse 2. To, to what end? Why, why does the vine dresser prune us? Well, so that we bear more fruit. He, he cuts away that which gets in the way. That which stunts us, hinders us, entangles us. He rids us of anything and everything that gets in the way of becoming more like Jesus. That's what he does. Pruning can hurt, though. You know what I mean? Like when we're bearing, even bearing fruit, like things are going well, and then something is taken away, because it's hindering us, it can hurt. But be encouraged. Because going back to that book by Wilkinson, he writes that the vine dresser is never closer to the vine than when he's pruning it. That the vine dresser has to stoop down to the vine to prune that which is entangling, getting in the way, hindering things. But he's not haphazard in that. He's close. He's close. Especially in those pruning times. Our enemy likes to dupe us, thinking we're going through pruning times. Where is God in this? He's close. He's here. And finally, the vine dresser works by sending the Spirit. If you have your Bibles open, if you just go back one chapter, just notice what Jesus says in verses 16 and 17, and notice how the language flows into chapter 15. And I will ask the Father, who is the vine dresser, 
And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's abiding language. He makes his home in you. Quite the vine dresser, man. Quite the vine dresser. So that's who, right? We've answered that question. Who are the characters? We've, we've answered the question, how? How does this take place in our lives? Bide in the word, right? Bide in his love and by work of the vine dresser. So let's close very briefly by answering the question, why? Why? Why all of this for us? Well, one reason, as verse 8 states, is to prove that we are disciples of Jesus. That's, that's one reason. A second reason that you see in verse 8 is so that we bring glory to the Father, which makes sense. Because who is the Father? In this, in this text, he's the gardener. He's the vine dresser. So when the vines look good, man, it makes much of the vine dresser. I started growing tomatoes last year. I know, like, you know you're getting old when you start growing tomatoes. <laughs> but my neighbor came across this, and she gave me three tomatoes uh, plants, and I, I started growing them last year, and she came. I didn't want to say no, so I, I grew, and she came back this year, and so we're growing tomatoes again. I don't even really like tomatoes. That's the, <laughs> not as many as a tomato t plant produces. They produce a lot of tomatoes. You're like, man, I'm good for one a month, and this thing has just popped off about 40 of them. But if my tomato, like when my, I've never grown anything in my life, and when uh, people would come over, i go, you want to go see my tomato plants, man? Because it looks good on me, right? It looks good on me. That's, that's the point here. We make the gardener, the vine dresser, look good when we as the branches of the vine, that is Jesus, bear fruit. It makes them look good. It doesn't make the vine dresser look good when no fruit are being revealed where Jesus has, isn't being manifest. So we bring glory to the Father. Both of those are key to prove we are disciples and to make much of the Father, to glorify the Father. Like I said, that all, both of those show up in verse 8. But I'd like to offer one more why we need to bear fruit. Why all of this abiding so that we bear fruit? And it comes out of verse 6. We are to abide in Christ, and he is uh, he and us, for hell is real. And, and one day, all of those not grafted onto the vine that is Jesus will be bundled up and thrown into the fire. Up. A fire that's not only real, but is never quenched nor satisfied. And it's no act of love to suggest otherwise. That's why this ministry in this part of Vancouver is so crucial. That your mission of making Jesus known on this part of the city is so crucial. We need to bear the fruit of Jesus to the nations. And the nations are across the street. And so as I close, and I know my time is done, as I close, let me just simply ask some questions. What are you grafting onto? 
What vines are you abiding in? What do you abide in most? So, so many people I know, and I know this in myself all too much, are so busy about so many lesser things, ever working but rarely abiding, ever planning but rarely praying, pursuing the fruit, pursuing the fruit of success but not the fruit of Christ in them. You are going through a hard season as a ministry right now. You're going through a very hard season. What should you give, to your, give yourself to first and foremost? Abiding in Jesus. Abide in him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Saturate yourself in the reminder of how much Jesus loves you. Pray for one another that your love and your knowledge would deepen that you'd have the strength to comprehend the height and depth and breadth and width of the love of Christ. Give yourself to that. Because here's the guarantee from the mouth of Jesus. Abide in him, abide in his love. Let his word abide in you and you will bear fruit. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. So individually... Draw that circle around yourself corporately. Make that your mandate. Abide in Jesus. Just abide in Jesus. Let me pray. <clears throat> oh, Jesus, I, I love this. I love this text. Love this passage. I thank you for how the Holy Spirit inspired John to write it, that we could be blessed by it. And when we read it, we, it just, we can tell this is not just ink on a page. This is living. This is active. And so by way of your word and the Spirit working through this word that he has inspired, he has inspired, I pray that you would do work in this ministry Bring wisdom and discernment. Bring joy. Stir their affections for you. I pray against the enemy. I, I pray that their love, their love, even during these hard times, their love for you and the fruit of Jesus would explode to the community. That, that fruit would be so apparent. I love this ministry. I thank you for this ministry. I pray that you would guide this ministry, continue to do so, protect this ministry, for this, not only for their sake, but for the sake of the nations that call the North Shore home. Do your work. You're a loving vine dresser, Father. You're the true vine, Jesus. Do your work. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.